Well, good afternoon, everybody. How's everyone doing? Good. I'm going to ask Claudia to manually go to the next slide. I think we're caught in a little uh, loop there. Um, but it's good to have you guys here uh, this afternoon. I'm excited for this next part of our uh, sermon series. I, I say it every week. It almost sounds like a broken record, but it's true. Whenever you read through the scripture, it's always extremely practical in real time. No kidding. Um, I really appreciate Brad's prayer today, time of worship. Um, I definitely need prayer, and, and all for good reasons. Uh, I'll share a little bit later. But this morning, we're going to look specifically at how to pray. And uh, it's a very essential um, part of as who and what we are as Christians, our, our genetic makeup as believers, uh, if you will. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and we're going to get right into it here this afternoon. Uh, and before we start actually looking at the actual passage, when you look forward into this discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two foundations. He says, listen to my words. For those who listen to my words, those who heed my words, will be those who are building their house on a strong foundation. It'll be upon a rock. 7 verse 26 says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. I'm mindful this afternoon as we begin, how are we building our life? What blocks are we using? What blocks am I using in my own life? And so let's get into Matthew chapter 5. Oh, sorry, Matthew chapter 6. All right, we're in a new chapter. Matthew chapter 6. This is fantastic. It says here, Be careful not to practice your righteousness, but you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those our debtors. And bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the tremendous loving grace that you show us, you display to us through your Son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness that is in your name for each person, for myself and each person here today. And because of that great forgiveness, Lord, that we experience day by day, Help us to walk in that forgiveness and displaying that towards others as you teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
You know, we're living in a time of the celebrity, chasing the limelight, chasing those few minutes of fame. I mean, you don't have to look very far. Look to social media, look to TikTok, and all the other things are becoming prevalent. Those few moments of fame where maybe what I've posted might just go viral. We seek it. Sometimes we don't even realize that that's the motive of our heart because maybe it's a really cute picture or, or a really great video, but then very quickly it can steer in the direction of it becoming about us. I mean, you turn on the news and you see all these different celebrities, you know, being worshipped and praised in coliseums and auditoriums, and people are going nuts. Woo! Right? And yet I can't help but think every single time I'm gut checked, whether I'm watching a game or I'm listening and watching a concert, you know, who am I before my audience of one? Jesus Christ. You know, in a time of worship, am, am I, and forgive me, I'm not, you know, preaching down to anybody, but am I as dull as a doornail when it comes to worshiping my Lord <laughs> in a time of worship? These are the things that have been occupying my mind this week. The Bible says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is a part of scripture as I was looking over this passage just before we came here today about what I'm seeking. What, what are we seeking as a church family? You know, we want to make our mark. We want to make our mark in the community, but we want to make the mark for the right reasons. We want to please the Lord. We want to glorify the Lord above all else, even if it makes us unpopular. And that's a tough one. And I actually honestly believe today, without gaining specific details, we experience in some respects spiritual attack. Right, right at the very get-go, words of discouragement, not from in this house, but from, from uh, outside. And I couldn't help but think how important it is, even in those moments through a time of worship and prayer, to continue to pray, to continue to press in, to believe, as Sue encouraged me moments before I came to preach. You're called to a place as this. You're called to, to, to lead and to shepherd, and we're all called to be here together within this church house as a church family. And so this, this message, I really believe, is going to really speak to us very practically this afternoon. You know, a few days ago, we saw the longest reigning uh, monarch pass away, Queen Elizabeth II, an incredible woman for many uh, aspects and regards. Her deeds are well known, and we all know she was a woman of faith. Now, part of her queenship was to be a defender of the faith with the Church of England, and I have to believe her faith was what much more than an institution. I believe it was the real deal. One day a chaplain was speaking about the second coming. And as he looked, he saw a tearful, deeply emotional queen. He comes to the queen. He says, your majesty, you know, what, what seems to be troubling you? And she, he can tell she's deeply moved. And she says, I so hope that the Lord Jesus comes while I'm still here. And he says, well, your, your majesty, you know, starts going through these emotions. And she says, I so greatly, and, and the writer of this, and I, forgive me for not remembering the, the quote exactly, but she quivered and said, I would so long to lay my crown at his feet. Whew. I'm emotional right now thinking about it. I want to lay my crown at his feet. 
got me thinking, the crowns that I wear, the crowns we wear, do we lay them at his feet? And the reason why I'm even sharing that how I was preaching me in real time is even if we weren't able to meet in this place, we believe that God has a plan and we surrender it all to him. So look here in Matthew chapter 6, with all this in mind, with looking at the queen and all these aspects, how are we building our prayer life? What are those fundamental blocks in your life? How do you approach prayer? Point number one is this, our prayer is a form of worship and praise. Sometimes we dress it up, sometimes we complicate it. We make it more than what it needs to be. And in many regards, it's worship and it's praise. Worship is defined as this, an act of adoration and reverence. Adoration and reverence. And that's something we can understand because we show that to many people. Maybe our loved ones, maybe we even put them on a pedestal. Adoration and reverence. And then there's praise, respect, and gratitude. So that's why we say it's important to have a time of praise and worship because we're showing God this reverence, this gratitude that he so deserves. And prayer's no difference. When we're coming to a time of prayer, it's not about a rote exercise, although there's things and frameworks we put in place to keep us in check. But it's not about that exercise, it's about the heart. It's about coming with that gratitude with our heart and saying, just how he ties in the very end, forgive one another. Lord, it's hard for me to forgive others, but I'm reminded that you forgave me. Thank you for your forgiveness. I am so unworthy of your grace. And so as we go through here, right at the beginning, you got to love, you got to imagine as if you were one of the audience, how tough this may have been to hear Jesus say, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Now as you're reading this, you could say like, Jesus, this is kind of a backhanded slap in some way. This is, this is tough to hear. Hypocrites? Who are you calling a hypocrite? <laughs> some people say Jesus never said anything that got people's backs up. Of course he did. You hypocrites. You brood of vipers. You whitewashed tombs. Meaning there's no life within you. You're a big show. And he's showing us here right at the beginning. He's dressing it up so beautifully. It's not about a performance. We've all been there. We've been to gatherings. Well-intentioned, many well-intentioned prayers. And very quickly, if we don't gut check, heart check, it, it can become about the performance. And the purpose of prayer, it's not about being seen and drawing these accolades of people as Jesus is showing us. Could you imagine if it was about that? We'd be so focused on, wow, what an excellent use of the English vocabulary and grammar. Incredible. The way that Brad offered that prayer. Wow. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. Prayer is supposed to draw us towards God. As Brad prayed this morning, he says, if I am lifted up, if Jesus is lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. What are our motives when we pray? And so Jesus, in many ways, he's challenging us. Right at the beginning, verse 5, he's challenging us. How do we approach prayer? At this time in history, it was not uncommon for the Jewish people to have a preset, repetitive prayer system. 
They would pray at least three times a day, and they continue to do that today with Judaism at the Wailing Wall, specific laid out prayers that they will continually pray with repetition and persistence. And he's not saying there's anything wrong with repetition or persistence. But he's saying if you're doing it to be seen, you're missing the point. And so point number two, in prayer, our attitudes are adjusted. Jesus shows us this framework. Okay, guys, don't be like the hypocrites. And he gives us in many respects this scaffolding, if you will, this foundation for us to build prayer upon. In verse 9 it says, Therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that a great start? The framework beginning with our heavenly Father in mind versus just laying our wish list at his feet. We lay it all at our feet and say, Lord, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Because as you pray, as we all learn, as we pray, your kingdom come, his great plan and purpose for your life will be realized because we want everything according to his plan and purpose. And so he's showing us it's not about our glory, it's not our, about our way or the highway kind of thing. And we've all been there. We've all had our way or the highway kind of thing. It's about having this right motive. Look what the Apostle Paul says to the believers in Colossus. He says this in Colossians 1, and forgive me, I don't have the verses for it today. He says this in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Notice he's not saying we pray that you have a really big house and that you'd be filled with all this stature that people will, will just look to you and admire you and chant your names in the streets. No, he says so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully and pleasing to him. Look what he says in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints the inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's the dawn of a new day. In Jesus Christ, this is the dawn that we experience, this forgiveness, this inheritance of light. And that when we line up with the kingdom of God that is light, it's going to break forth into our sphere. It's going to break forth into our areas of influence. And when we pray in this way, it really is a form of worship and praise. Look what he says in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will Reward you. Now, it's not about us just worshiping this God who's a secretive type of person. Like, he doesn't want to be seen. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He just wants to keep things all cool and behind the curtain, if you will. He wants us to seek him out. He wants us to be found by him. Sometimes you read this and think, well, our God is kind of a secretive guy. <laughs> he's definitely not secretive. The Bible actually says he's jealous for us. 
He longs for us to commune with him, to have a shared experience, to share our most intimate thoughts. And sometimes we have to go into our prayer closet, into that secret room, to tune out all the noise. Because very quickly, again, you go into an assembly, and as we've already said it, you can be sidetracked. Because you get consumed and concerned about the way you articulate even a prayer. we got to stop, you know, making it more complicated than it's supposed to be. And I'm preaching to myself. And I'm very thankful for that because I'm not one with words. I'm, I'm just like the Apostle Paul where I say, I don't come to you with eloquent words, but with a demonstration of the Lord's power. If the Lord can speak through me, he can speak through you. And so point three is this, our public life should match our private. Our public prayer life should match our public. Now think about this. If you were to read this through personally, would you say, well, I think Jesus is telling me I'm not supposed to pray in public anymore. Look at what he says right at the beginning. You hypocrites, you love to play standing in the streets to be seen by people. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. At first glance, you'd say, well, that's it. I'm never again to be part of any prayer meeting or anything in public. I'm just going to keep it within my house. I'm going to keep it within that private place, that secret place. But that's not what he's saying. If we were just to stop there, we would, we would land there and... Gosh, we wouldn't be part of the assembly. We wouldn't be part of the believers to share and encourage one another through prayer. But he's most certainly telling us we need to be aware of our motives. Where are we starting from? Are we starting where we want to be seen? Are we asking God to meet our wish list? Are we praying and coming into alignment with his goodwill and purpose? So let me ask you this question this afternoon. Who are you when no one's watching? Who are you in that secret place? Andrew, who are you, you know, when no one's looking, no one's there to see what you're saying, what you're doing? Because that adoration and reverence for the Lord in that secret place, Jesus is saying, is what should be happening in the public. But if there's a misalignment there, you should go into your secret place and allow those motives to be realigned. It's in that secret place that I've learned in my own life that those thoughts that you think are important or the things you think God's all about, it's where he challenges them and he reorientates your thought life by the power of his spirit. And so to help illustrate this point of, you know, praying even when it's not easy, praying when things aren't going your way, praying with continued adoration and reverence and gratitude and respect for who he is, laying all our crowns at his feet, we look no further than Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, who because of ministry, because of wanting to go the distance, wanting to live their life for Christ in the midst of all odds, end up being put behind bars because they want to live a life to the glory of God. And so I want you guys to check out this video really quick. Go ahead and hit the Paul and Silas video, Claudia. And make sure it's nice and loud. Going to a place of prayer, they were met by a slave girl who had an evil spirit by which she was able to predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and Silas, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many, many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. 
At that moment, the evil spirit left the girl. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of money-making was gone, they captured Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They told the officials, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar by teaching customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the officials ordered them to be beaten and thrown into jail. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains were broken. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. Paul and Silas were released from prison and left in peace. <laughs> it's amazing what can happen when you keep the right attitude. Imagine yourself in the prison cell, put there for reasons, maybe it's not fair, maybe it's against your rights. Paul being a Roman citizen, had many rights, and yet he considered himself worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. In that place, they kept this attitude, they kept this, this heart check that Jesus is showing us by keeping this, the motives in clear order. God came, he met their need, he shook the jailhouse and they were set free. At first you would think, well, you know, Paul and Silas, they just praised and prayed because they were set free. Well, no, it began with prayer and praise. They were in the very place they didn't want to be. But then out of that, out of that prayer and praise, that conditioning that happened, a ministry opportunity presented itself. And this is what I'm talking about, where Jesus, I believe, is reorientating us and showing us that when we keep the right motives, the right heart, we'll have this reality check and we'll be positioned in order to bless and minister to others. Now, don't get me wrong, they're going to push buttons. Sometimes, as I share right, before, right at the beginning when we opened, your buttons will be pushed. And just like in this video, we saw Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Before they even went to prison, they were challenged by this woman who really took upon herself working in the spiritual forces of darkness and operating with different incantations. Coming up against Paul and Silas, but they didn't allow that to disrupt them. They came against her and that spiritual force in the name of Jesus. But it wasn't a performance. 
It wasn't a specific technique. If you try and just mirror what happened in Acts chapter 16, where it says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to get out of her, and it came out of her right away. It's not about a technique. It's not about a specific order of words, although the name of Jesus, at the name, at his very name, demons have to flee. But even there, it wasn't dressed up. And that's something I appreciated about looking at the story in Paul and Silas, how the midnight hour, they prayed and they praised. There was nothing dressed up about it one way, shape, or another, but it was the right heart. I mean, they weren't going anywhere. There was no, as Isaiah said last week, there's no paparazzi. There was no prearranged scheduling of the camera crew. It was between them and God. And so therefore, it was like a secret place. And what checked my heart in this, and this isn't of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe, but even just for myself was, when we're in those places of difficulty, when we tune out all the voices around us, that place can become a secret place. When you tune out all those voices, it can very well become the secret place. God's watching, he hears, he sees. In many ways, we've all been in our own prisons. How do we respond when we face those challenges? Paul even said to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 12, he says, look, I haven't reached the goal. I am by no means perfect, he says, but I make every effort to take a hold of it, this life in Christ, because I've also been taken hold of by Jesus. I believe that's the life that Paul was holding on to in that prison cell. That's what gave him the fuel to pray and to praise, which brings us to point number four. God sees, God hears, God knows what you need. God sees, God hears, God knows what you need. Look what Jesus says in verse eight. He says, don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Sometimes we might even ask in our silliness, you know, lack of a better word, is, is God really listening? Does God really see what's going on here, how I'm being treated in this moment? Of course he does. But that testing refines us. Even today for myself, you know, being asked the question, I can get defensive and kind of go off the rails and be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. But look what David says in Psalm 34, verses 4 and 9. He says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. Taste and see the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Paul and Silas didn't fear the, the jailer, the guard at the gate. They feared the Lord. He who gives the very breath in our lungs, the very life that you and I now enjoy. He's the only one to fear, to have reverence for. And so look back to verse 5. Again, he says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues, on the street corners to be seen. Don't get distracted or tempted to join in that parade. It's tempting, isn't it? 
to join in with the crowd, to join in with the see me, notice me, the limelight, the celebrity. In a few minutes, our worship team is going to sing a song called Jehovah Jireh. And then one of the lyrics in the song says, You're never, you'll never be more loved than you are right now. You'll never be more loved than you are right now. This is the very love that drove the Apostle Paul to the point of being imprisoned under house arrest and then eventually death. This is what drove Peter, who one of the apostles, he was crucified upside down. This is what drove his followers to give their very life to the life that Jesus was calling them to. What are we willing to give? What are we willing to lay down at his feet in prayer and adoration? This is something that's going through my mind. I'm, I'm checking my own heart. Again, verse 9 through 13, it says, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And bring us not in temptation, into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So a few takeaways. Don't complicate what's not supposed to be complicated. Prayer is this beautiful thing. It's not a Rubik's Cube. Ever tried to solve a Rubik's Cube? I've never been able to do it. I don't know how, how much I've really tried. But prayer is not supposed to be complicated. I mean, you can buy books. You can go out there and be like, how to pray and, and make sure that God hears you. There's all these titles out there and well-intentioned writers. But at the end of the day, at the name of Jesus, every demon has to flee. We don't need to dress things up. If you have a need, just share what your need is. He knows what you need. You don't have to use these eloquent words and shape them and move them in such a way. But it's about the heart. James 4 verse 3 says, You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your pleasures. And usually we just say, well, you have not because you ask not. Well, you need to ask with the right motives. God hears, God sees, he knows. But what are your motives? Don't be afraid to have that open communication. Just like with Job, he said to Job, come, let us reason together. After he lost everything, he lost his family, he lost his livestock, God invited him and said, let us reason together. Let's have a conversation. Sometimes you're like, no, I'm not going to talk to the Lord again. I'm taking a time out. We've all done it. We've all been there when we face difficult circumstances. But one thing I noticed in reading this, maybe this jumped out at you as well, Jesus didn't focus on the rewards. He said, your father knows what you need and will reward what's done in secret. But he doesn't specifically lay out what those specific rewards are because it's not about the rewards. Are you willing to come into alignment as you pray? Are you willing to come in alignment and desire his good will and purpose for your life, saying, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your way, not my way. That's why we sing Waymaker. And so in closing, as the worship team comes, I want to invite you to give your today to the Lord. Give your today to the Lord. Whatever today is, what's your today? What is it that you're dealing with 
today? Before you even came here this afternoon, what was on your mind? What has been upon your heart? Maybe even, if I can even say this, what has been that divide that's been keeping you from walking in that relationship with the Lord that you know that you don't so desperately need? Will you give your today to the Lord? We know that he sees everything. He's aware of all our needs. And because he's our loving father, you know what? He wants to meet those needs. He wants to show without a shadow of a doubt that he loves you so immensely that he's going to come through even in a pinch. And a little bit of a challenge before we get into these words. Right here at the end, I haven't forgotten about the end. It can be a little tricky to understand when he talks about forgiveness. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. At the end of the day, as we pray, as we seek and say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. Just as we've received forgiveness, he's going to lead us an opportunity to forgive others. Because sometimes that is one of the greatest needs that someone may need is forgiveness. Maybe you have a family member, you've been at odds for years, and you're like, no, I don't want, I'm not going to talk to them again. We're, we're done. But you don't know in the heart of heart, it could very be that very need they have. They, they just want to be forgiven. And who are we to withhold that forgiveness for he who forgave us? There was a stack list. My list has to be well beyond this cathedral and beyond. But he forgave me. And this is something that I had to practice, you know, you can't just preach. You have to practice what you, what you preach. And I, one day I was at a meeting, and it was a prayer meeting. And it was a really exciting day, and eventually I'll tell you the details of why I was at this prayer meeting. It was really exciting, and we're getting ready to gather and to pray with other pastors. And then someone showed up, wrote in, and someone who had tremendously hurt and gave offense to my family, especially to my own father. And it was very difficult. And even, even with the prompting, kind of like the crowd, the words that were spoken was almost like a buddy-buddy kind of thing, even though I knew and they knew what had transpired in the past. And so we're praying and all these words are being shared as you pray. And thank God as we pray, even in our humanness, I believe the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, even when we're not having the right heart about things, the Holy Spirit still prays and says the things that we should be saying. And even in, with this person, as they're praying, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, well, they're praying scripture, they're praying Bible, like, amen, I agree with what they're praying. And then I got this, this heart check, like, you need to offer forgiveness. I didn't want to. I tell you right now without getting tearful, I did not want to offer forgiveness. One of the most painful experiences of my life when you see your own father go through hurt. But in that moment I walked up and, and just said, you know, I amen, I, I agree with what you were praying. And reconciliation and forgiveness is important. And so I offer that to you. And I'm, I'm just paraphrasing what conversation that we had. And, and sometimes as you do that, as you offer the forgiveness, you would hope that it would always be the case they would receive it and maybe reciprocate. And although that didn't happen, I believe what Jesus is showing us here, if you have the right heart, you need to be willing to offer it to do it and leave the rest to God. 
Are you willing to give your today to the Lord? As you pray and you ask God to meet that need, he's going to put upon your heart the ways you can meet the other person's need. And I have to believe about this person, without them sharing it to me, I believe deep down they needed that. Because they knew, I knew. And now that heart check is now saying, I'm believing by offering that forgiveness that life is able to be returned in their life. So as we sing these words, Jehovah Jireh, the very word Jireh means provider. God is our provider. He knows what he needs. Again, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 8, don't be like them, those hypocrites, those people standing in the streets praying to be seen. But when you pray, go into the private room, shut your door, pray to the Father who's in secret. And the Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. As we sing this song, these words, it's wonderful adoration to the Lord. It's prayer, it's praise, worship and praise all together, all combined together. And so I wanna invite you as we come to this time of worship and hear these words as they sing it, I know it's new. But just allow the words to minister to your heart. Tune out the voices. Let's let this become a secret place. And invite the Holy Spirit to do that work that you need him to do. He knows what you need. And so let's go and approach Jehovah Jireh together. Our God is our provider. Amen. Let's sing this together. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand.
opening up this time, if you're here today for a time of prayer, whether it's in your seats or up at the front, I want to challenge you, if you will, if you're here and you, and you sense that prompting, that tugging upon your heart for, as we believe in scripture, if there's a need, and it speaks specifically to sickness as well, but if you have a need, it tells us to call the elders and to come together and to lay hands and pray for one another. So if you're here today and as the worship team sings this song, if you need prayer, but whether it's a specific issue or a need that you know that you've been praying to, Lord, we would love to come and partner with you and believe even this place that really, as we said, has become a secret place. We can come together with triumphant faith and believe that our God is Jehovah Jireh, that he's more than enough, always enough, forever enough. So as they sing, I invite you to come if that's you. And I'm allow them to take this time and, and give them the, you know, the rest of the service. But when we feel we've come to the place where, you know, we've come to conclusion, I'll invite them to dismiss at that time. And if you need to go, you know, God bless you. Um, but if you're able to remain and press in for those needs, take these next few moments. We don't want to rush. Um, and then we'll, uh, well, then we'll see you again next week. But let's take this time just to pray. And